like to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to join me in the 25th Psalm. We don't know exactly what to do when we are reaping the consequence of our own sin. It is our default setting a lot of the time to lash out in anger or perhaps to even rebel against God's plan for us. Maybe it's that we simply sit somewhere and we throw up our hands and we quit. This morning, David is going to teach us an invaluable lesson of dealing with life because of our dire circumstances and the recognition that it's on us. Abraham Lincoln once said this, I have often been driven to God by the overwhelming sense that I had nowhere else to go. That's David's story. In fact, that must have been David's sense as he penned the words of this psalm. By best conjecture, this psalm was written by David. It's a prayer. You can hear it. He's incredibly transparent. It's really simple in its communication. When Absalom had stolen the hearts of the men of Israel away from him. You see, David's son Absalom and David did not have a great relationship. Absalom had stepped in and solved a problem with vigilante justice and really should have been dealt with by his father David. David was an absentee father. Perhaps David should have offered him forgiveness, some level of discipline, but David was passive in his interactions with Absalom. And Absalom, with a heart of rebellion, rises up against his father. And the Bible tells us this story, and I want you to listen to it just for a moment so that you can sense the background of what David is praying in the 25th Psalm. Listen as I read to you from Samuel's account in 2 Samuel 15, and it came to pass after this, that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate, and it was so, that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment, then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, Thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said, moreover, Oh, that I were made judge in the land, that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so, that when any man came nigh to him to do obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. And this phrase is on which this story hinges. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel away from his father, David. He stole their loyalty away from his father, David. And the Bible will tell us that Absalom's coup forced David to run for his life outside of Jerusalem. In fact, just nine verses after the one I concluded with, and David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, And let us flee, for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us, and smite the city with the edge of the sword. David realizes that he is literally running for his life. He's telling everybody that was with him, don't even stop to pack anything. Just get out of Jerusalem. This is the only chance we have to escape death by the hand of of my son Absalom. 
In David's heart, as much as I'm certain he was pained and humiliated and embarrassed by the fact that Absalom had stolen the hearts of the people, I know that he also had parental guilt because this was his son and this problem was fixable. But because of his own arrogance and because of his own inability to forgive or properly execute judgment on Absalom, he is reaping the consequence of that bad parenting. Beyond that, he is hearkening back in his mind to his grievous and terrible sin of adultery with Bathsheba. When Nathan the prophet came in and addressed the sin of David, one of the things that he articulated to him was the consequences that would come because of his sin of arrogance and lust. And Nathan said this to him in 2 Samuel 12, I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. I will raise up evil against thee out of thine own house. And then he prophesies, and I will take thy wives before thine eyes and give them unto thy neighbor, and he shall lie with thy wives in the sight of this son. And that's precisely what happened. To incredibly add to the humiliation of David, who has had to acquiesce the throne and is now running for his life, Ahithophel counsels Absalom to go up onto the rooftop and commit egregious sin with the wives and concubines of David. He does so. David is now out here in the wilderness. He has been betrayed by close counselors. He's been betrayed by his own son. And he lives with the awareness that it is his fault. I grasp that we understand David confessed. It's a beautiful prayer of repentance. It's in the 51st Psalm where he prays his confession before God. He's open. He's transparent. It's simple. But there are consequences for sin. And the principle of reaping what we sow exists even for David. And so as one wrote, we could rightly say that the psalm we have before us is a schoolbook lesson on how to live so as to be blessed by God even in the midst of dire circumstances. David always writes beautifully. David was a songwriter David was a poet, and inspired by the Holy Spirit, he pens beautiful language and psalms for us, prayers for us, songs to sing. But when he confessed his sin, he said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. There was no anger with God, no rebellion in his heart, no excuse making. He simply confessed that he had sinned before the Lord. And I want you and I, as we read this psalm this morning, to focus in on the simplicity of what David communicates. Because I think sometimes an impediment to our talking to God is that we have, we have this idea that we need to know what we're going to say and it has to be verbose and it has to be long and it has to sound like the Bible sounds. David simply in his confession said, I have sinned against the Lord. David just taught us that God's not really concerned about the length of our prayer, but the heart behind our prayer. And I want you to look now in the 25th Psalm As David, who has confessed of his sin and been forgiven, yet is now reaping the consequences of that sin out in the wilderness with Absalom on the throne and dealing with betrayal, he prays this in the 25th Psalm, beginning in verse 1. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. David is sensing 
shame. David is navigating guilt, and that is a miserable feeling. I believe that the longer that we live and the more rooted we become in the Scripture and the deeper our relationship with God becomes, we are aware of the fact that we really need God's mercy. We are aware of the fact that we are faulty, that we are sinners, and that we desperately need the mercy of God. That's what David is teaching us here. In effect, in verse 1, David is saying that he is completely handing his life over to God. Unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. God, I have nothing of value, but I offer everything that I have to you. That's, in effect, what he's saying. All of my life I'm giving up to you. And it is clear to me that he is remorseful. It is clear to me that he is very aware that his current circumstances are because of his past sin. And whereas our natural inclination might be, I'm dealing with the consequences of my sin, which means God doesn't want to talk to me, which means God doesn't want to hear from me, which means I've got to take this thing over and I've got to push my own ambition and I've got to solve this problem on my own, which means I've got to sit out here and just deal with it and I quit. No, David is teaching us that we go to God and it's amazing. He is remorseful through this whole thing. In fact, when you get to verse seven, you'll hear him pray this. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgression. According to thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Can you hear his remorse? Apparently, his troubles now have reminded him of the sins that he had committed in earlier years. In verse 8, he comes back and he refers to himself as a sinner. In verse 11, he again cries out, For thy name's sake, O Lord, Pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. In verse 18, he again asks the Lord to forgive all my sins. Now, I want to help you understand that the Bible teaches us in the New Testament that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God forgives us of our sins. We don't have to go back and be forgiven of the same sin, but we're hearing the heart of David as he communicates, I know this is fruit of my own doing. The remorse is in him as he pleads with God, remember not the sins of my youth. Forgive me because your name is good. Forgive me because you are good, not because I deserve it, not because I merit it. This is Humility and transparency coming from David. David is not merely exhibiting blind faith in God when he says to him, God, I'm giving you my whole life. I don't want to take a step without your direction. I don't want to move until I hear from you. All of me I offer up. He's trusting in the goodness of God and he has great experience in that. One old preacher wrote this, Let shame be sent to the right owner. Even to those that deal disloyally, unprovoked on my part. David prays something that stands out to me. Let me not be ashamed. Don't let me be disappointed. I don't mean disappointed in my own aims and ambitions. I sense shame. I'm out here. I've abdicated the throne. 
My son has humiliated me. I've been betrayed by my closest counselors. Let me not be ashamed, but let them who deal treacherously and unfairly and sinfully, let shame rest on them. But because I am transparent and because I am confessing and because I'm holding up my whole life to you, please don't let me be ashamed. And then he prays this, And let none of those people that wait on you, let none of them be ashamed, but let shame go to the rightful owner. Sinners always deal with shame. That is a Bible lesson we cannot escape. In fact, Ahithophel, who betrays David and gives counsel to Absalom to humiliate his father, will by the end of this story go home and hang himself. Absalom, who steals the hearts of the king's men there in Jerusalem, will be hung in a tree and dispatched by Joab. And many that sided with Joab are going to run from the city in shame, and many of them will die by the sword. It is beautiful to see that God answers prayer. I don't mean the violence that this prayer elicited, but I mean it is wonderful to grasp that those that wait on the Lord will not feel shame, but those who continue in their self-willed ways will. David is teaching us how to pray. Unto you, God, I lift up everything that I am, and I'm begging you to let me not be ashamed. And then he asks something that is seemingly audacious to me in verses 4 and 5. He does not deserve this. He does not merit this. He should not have this level of boldness. But in verse 4, he says this, Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth and teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. In that verse, he says, show me, teach me, lead me, and teach me. I want you, God, to show me what to do. Pilot me. This is the attitude that we must adopt toward God. Now, I want to pause and just reset us in our minds in this story David is away from the throne, running for his life. He is doing it because of consequences for his own sin. And he's telling us how to navigate life in these circumstances. And he says, trust in God. Fully and completely capitulate your will to God's will. And you will not be ashamed. Ask God to pilot you. Show me Lead me, guide me, teach me. I want to know what you're doing here, God. The question is, in all honesty, do we really want to be taught by God? Do we really want to know the way of the Lord? Do we want God to lead us through this life or not? Some of the simplest tasks in all of the world I struggle with. I can remember when I was learning to tie a tie, something I wish I had never learned. I can remember when I was learning to tie a tie and I would stand in front of the mirror and everything was backwards to me and I just struggled with it. I still struggle with it. My wife ties my ties and hangs them in the closet with the knot on. How many of you want to believe that though, really? Lays my outfits out, ties my shoes, licks her hand, puts my hair down. None of that happens. Tying a tie, you sit there and you struggle with it and you get it all the way and no, and you do it again, no. And one of your parents is standing there and they think to themselves, if you just gave me two seconds, I could tie that tie. No, I want to figure it out. Can't get it, can't get it, can't get it. If you just give me just 10 seconds, 
We'll be done and we'll get out of here. Just let me tie the tie. Nope, I can figure this out. And it takes 43 tie attempts and you end up walking out the door with it like this and you just capitulate, let them have it. It looks terrible. Now I've done this to myself. This is great. Fun. Tying shoes as a little kid. Hey guys, we're going to walk out the door. I want to tie my shoes. Mm, ooh. Let me just tie them this time. No, I want to tie my shoes. Can you not this time? No, I want to tie my shoes. And you just stand there and you think, if I just tie your shoe, it's so easy. It's like tying a shoe. Just do it. What I think sometimes God looks down at us and he feels the same sense of frustration. Why are you struggling through life? Why are you going through life so miserably? Just ask me. It's a simple task. I can take care of it. Lord, teach me, show me, guide me in your way. I am sick of dealing with the consequences of my own decision. I'm sick of the payoff for my own selfish ambition. I choose to capitulate. Please pilot my existence. Have you ever been on a hike before and they spray paint a shape and a color on the tree? You ever seen that? Am I right? People are like, where have you hiked? Uh, Everyone's looking at me like I'm dumb. I am, but I've hiked where they spray paint shapes and colors on the tree. And when you hike on the path that has been cleared, you'll find that as you go, they have removed obstacles for you. Trees are, generally speaking, removed. Stumps and roots, they're gone. And in some spaces where there would need to be some steps, some rocks are placed, and and it has been cleared. And if you were to simply go five yards off the path, your journey is going to be vastly different. You're going to hit your head on branches, you're going to stumble over roots, you're going to walk into trees, you're going to get into thorn bushes, you're going to see wildlife, which is terrifying to everybody. No one really likes nature, that's why they shoot it. A lot of people just shoot it when they see it. Why? It really doesn't matter if you're 100 yards off the path or just 5 yards off the path. If you're not on the path, your journey is dramatically different. It's incredibly challenging. It's really hard. And all I'm communicating to you is David has learned this very lesson. And now he sits outside of Jerusalem, no doubt weeping over the broken relationship with his son and the humiliation of the lost kingdom. And he's pausing and he's saying, God, this isn't blind faith. I know that you're good. And so I'm, I'm done with the ambition, I'm done with the bad parenting, I'm done with the payoff for my own sin and carnality and lust, I offer all of my life to you, and because you're good, and because I'm confessing, I'm asking you now to show me and teach me, and God, I'm tired of walking this path five yards off the cut and clean trail. I want to come back to where you are. It's very much like the prayer that Moses prayed. When Moses went up the mount. It's another great Old Testament story. The children of Israel just cannot wait. They're impetuous. And they make a golden calf and everybody bows down and worships the golden calf. And Aaron, I don't even comprehend how he does it. He says, these are the gods that led you out of Egypt. It's stunning in its stupidity. As Moses returns down, God is fed up. 
with the sinful behavior of the children of Israel. In fact, he tells Moses, we got to move the tabernacle outside of the camp. I, uh, my holiness cannot be in this. Move the tabernacle outside of the camp. And in Exodus 33, listen, as Moses speaks to God. He's all alone now <laughs> in the tabernacle. He's utterly confused. And in Exodus 33, Moses said unto the Lord, See, thou sayest to me, bring up this people. And thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name. And thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now therefore I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight and consider that this nation is thy people. And he said, my presence shall go with thee and I will give thee rest. And Moses said unto him, and get the strength of this phrase, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. That's a plain way of saying, if you're not in the lead, I don't want to go. If this is any part of my wisdom, if this is my experience talking, if this is my gut, if this is my emotion, I don't want it. If you're not in the lead, I don't want to go. And David is sitting in a dusty hole in the ground, dealing with what life is like when you get your own way. Dealing with what life is like when you fulfill your own lusts, you capitulate to your own flesh, and if we could just call a timeout and take a snapshot That's what it looks like. Broken relationships and lost kingdoms and grievous pain and guilt. And yet he's telling us God is so good. God is so kind that if we will come back and confess, we can boldly pause and redirect our entire lives and say, God, whatever you want, I'm up for. And in fact, I don't even want to take a step. If I don't know it's not the one you're leading in. More often than not, we only want God to lead us if he's leading us where we want to go. More often than not, we only want to see the way that we want to go in. We only want to be taught what we want to learn and be led in the direction that we already think is best. What if that's not what God's trying to teach us? What if that's not where God is trying to take us? Are we still willing to have him in control and piloting us? And David gives us an incredible secret in verse 21. He says, let integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait on thee. I'm not moving until you tell me what's next. I wait on thee. There is an element of extreme patience in trusting God. There is an element of patience and waiting for God to take the lead. And that cuts against the grain of our nature. We want what we want and we want it now. And I wonder at times how much blessing we have missed out on in our lives because we have the fruit of our own choices and decisions. How much have we missed out on in the way of spiritual fruitfulness, in the way of peace, and in the way of blessing, because we are always racing out ahead of God, and we're always demanding our way, and we're always pushing our own agenda, and we're always chasing down our own ends. How much have we missed out on because we just don't wait on God? 
David's teaching us to simply grasp that in these moments where we are dealing with destruction of our own devices, we still can trust completely in God and wait for him to help us out. And there is a reward that comes with that. You may see in verse 8 in your Bibles, and again, if you don't have them, those verses will be here. Listen to, them, to the list of rewards that David communicates. Good and upright is the Lord, which by the way, is why we have any chance at all. Therefore, will he teach sinners in the way? The meek will he guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth, unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity, for it is great. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, and his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Mine eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he shall pluck my feet out of the net. That's the reward that comes when we finally stop doing what we want and getting our way and resting in what God leads us to do. Simply this, he says, God will teach and he will guide. Did you know what he said? Good and upright is the Lord. He will teach sinners in the way. That's us. I don't know where to go, and I'll never string together enough perfect hours, much less days, to merit God giving me some direction. But because God is good, and because God is upright, he will teach sinners in the way. I find it interesting that in the 51st Psalm, in David's prayer of confession, as he is concluding his prayer of confession, he says to God, if you will forgive me, if you will pardon me, I will teach sinners the way. I will show other people who have sinned that you can confess and get things right. And he's using the same verbiage here in the 25th Psalm when he says God is good and God is upright and he will, even though you don't deserve it, even though you don't merit it, he will teach and he will guide you. He then says this in verse 10, the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth. But there is a little bit of a condition, right? Unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. Obey God, and what you're going to find is his paths are always mercy and truth. In the 23rd Psalm, when David is writing, he says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It is an interesting word, paths, there that is used in the Hebrew. It speaks to the ruts that were in the muddy old roads from wagons that would pass over them regularly and habitually wearing a pattern into the road, which means literally the ruts of somebody who obeys God are mercy and truth. All of us know what it is to feel complacent and stagnant. Wouldn't it be great if your life's rut was mercy and truth? Everywhere that God leads, you will find the ruts in the road are mercy and truth. And you will find ever at your heels goodness and mercy all along the way. It does not mean it will be easy. And it does not mean we will escape all hardship. But if we will capitulate to God completely and wait for him to lead us fully, we will find no matter the path, it is always one rutted with mercy and with truth. In verse 11, he tells us we'll find forgiveness always and ever. Go to God. 
confess, repent, we'll find forgiveness there. He tells us in verse 12, we end up finding what God wants. We walk the paths of God's choosing. Meaning, as one old preacher used to say, the stops and the steps of a good man are all divinely inspired. We end up doing what God wants. The sovereign plan of God is a beautiful thing and something we probably don't meditate on enough. But where you are now is because God is good. You say, well, it doesn't feel like it. Where you are now is because God is good. For if we got what we deserved, we wouldn't be here at all. All of us are products of our own carnality, of our old nature, of our sin-cursed existence. But thanks be to God for his mercy and for the truth and for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And, And if we will wait, we do end up walking in the path that God chooses for us. And when we're walking in the path that God chooses for us, we find mercy and we find truth because inevitably we're going to make mistakes again and we need a merciful God. I've not yet met a perfect person. I've met people who thought they were perfect, but I've not met a perfect person. We all need God's mercy, even you. You say, why'd you point over here? I don't know, because I'm talking to you. You all need mercy. In verse 13, he tells us we find ease. Isn't that what you want? I like that idea. Life's hard. Life's hard. I, I, I find that sometimes even like sleep is hard, and that's supposed to be easy, but even sleep is hard. Life's hard. All of us, to one degree or another, are pursuing a life of ease. It motivates us. It is what we want. Even now, you're beginning to think to yourself, I want this guy to be done so that I can eat and I can rest and nap. But there are going to be small children at your door all night wanting candy from you, no nap for you. We all want some level of ease. And what David is saying is this, getting your own way is really hard. I could be on my throne. I could have my son Absalom at my table. I could have a good relationship with him. But instead, because I pursued my own lust and I caved into my own passion of my flesh and because I didn't repair my relationship with my son, I'm sitting out here in a dust-covered hole and I'm missing out on everything. This is hard. The Bible flat out says the way of transgressors is hard. But when we follow what God wants for us, We find ease. I do not mean that it's easy, but we find ease. Can you imagine ease of conscience? Think for just a minute about what David is telling us. And then he uses an intriguing word in verse 14. We'll know the secret. What does God want? One of the signs of true friendship is the sharing of secrets. You can tell little kids are friends when they whisper and they have secrets. Though it changes when they're adults and you pastor and people are whispering and sharing secrets, you think they're probably talking about me, that's not good. One of the signs of true friendship is that you share secrets. Jesus said to his disciples that, that he wanted them to be, you are my friends if you do whatsoever I command you. And then he taught them in John 14 as he introduced the Holy Spirit to them. He said that he will be your guide and he will be your teacher and he will show you everything that I have said. One writer said this, you are my friends, said Jesus, if you do whatsoever I command you. He longs for friends. 
He longs for those to whom he can tell his desires, on whom he may impose implicit confidence, and who will be so taken up with him as to be indifferent to everything else, their one purpose to do his least bidding, all to be honored with the personal friendship of Jesus. It were a rare privilege to be entrusted with his secrets and to hear him say, I have not called you servants, but friends. We have all these deep spiritual things, don't we? And the reality is we have the Holy Spirit to help us discern all of that. And we wonder what's next. And we wonder, does anybody care? Does anybody understand? Does anybody love us? And the Bible simply says, if we walk in obedience, Jesus is our friend. That's amazing. And he shares with us the secret of the way. Simply put, we can know what we ought to do. When we're putting our trust in the Lord, we will know what God's will is for us. And then in verse 15, he gives us a final image. It's a vivid one. He says, if I will keep my eyes on the Lord, it doesn't mean that I won't step in a net here and there, but he will pluck my feet out of the net. He'll pluck my feet out of the net. If I will keep my eyes on him, I will be rescued. I will be rescued from temptation. I will be rescued from sin. I will be rescued from trial. It doesn't mean my life does not encounter hardship, but I will be rescued. And I think it's important for us to note that as David writes this, none of the verbs that are used in here are future tense, meaning someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to find mercy and truth. And someday when I get to heaven, I will be ultimately rescued from the net of this life. And someday I'll know what to do and I'll know where to go and I'll have a perfect mind. All of the verbs that he uses in here are present tense, which means this is for us here and now. We are confused people. We are lost at times. All of us are reaping the consequences of our existence, which is lived out under the curse of sin. We have selfish ambitions. We have our own desires, our own agenda, our own will, and we can be stubborn and stiff-necked, to use a Bible term. And when we get what we think we want, oftentimes we end up in a hole outside of the kingdom, having lost everything and been humiliated and feeling shame. And in that moment, we are prone to think, there's no use. There's no point. I can never come back from this hole in the ground. I can never get back in the place where God will ever lead me. I should just quit and do what I want. Or we think, I'm going to get up out of this hole, and I'm going to go back in there, and I'm going to show Absalom what I should have shown him years ago. I'm going to get my kingdom back. And David says, stop. I want you to learn from a simple prayer that David prayed. Unto you, God, I give my whole life. Not because I'm blind in my faith, but because I know that you're good and I know that you're trustworthy. I'm asking that you not let my end be one of disappointment. I'm asking that my last chapter here not be one of shame. And I'm not even looking right now for a quick fix or a solution on my end. I'm telling you that I'm willing to sit here and wait for you to pilot me. Show me what I should do next. Teach me and guide me. Because the rewards that come from those who wait on the guidance of the Lord are innumerable. We have just a little, I can find forgiveness. I can find ease. I can actually know which path to walk in. And when I get there, I will find mercy and truth as the rut of my existence. It's a beautiful thing to pause and simply trust in God. Would you please bow your heads and close your eyes with me just for a moment?
Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.